Well, there was a uh, repairman who was working on a phone in a church office one day, and as he was working um, under the desk on this phone, there were three pastors that were standing nearby, and they were talking about prayer. And over time, the conversation turned to the proper place or posture of prayer. And the, the first pastor said to the other two, he said, when you pray, you need to fold your hands together and you need to point them upward as a, a form of symbolic worship to God. And the second pastor said to him, he said, that's, that's wonderful. He said, but the real place of prayer is when you're down on your knees, showing your humility to God. And the third pastor said to the other two, he suggested, no, the real place of prayer, the, the secret to successful prayer is when you are flat on your face on the floor and total and desperate dependence on God. Now, at this point, the, the phone man popped his head out from under the desk and he said, he said I'm, I'm really sorry to interrupt. He said, but the most powerful prayer that I ever prayed, the, the place of my most powerful prayer is a time when I was dangling 40 feet in the air, upside down with a cord wrapped around my feet. That's the true place of prayer. <laughs> Have you ever been there before? Have you ever found yourself in that, that situation where something makes you suddenly go to God in prayer? Well, as we turn in our Bible today to Jonah chapter 2, I invite you to turn there to Jonah chapter 2. What we're going to see is that Jonah finds himself in a place where it causes him to go to God in prayer. It says in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried out for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Now, as you think about Jonah's place of prayer, this isn't exactly that comfy chair you have in the corner, is it? Many of you have a, a special place where you have your quiet times of God, an idyllic setting where you sit back or you're in this place that just draws your mind to prayer. As you think about Jonah's place of prayer, I want you to listen to how Chuck Swindoll describes it. He says, pitch black, sloshing gastric juices wash over you, burning your skin, your eyes, your throat, and nostrils. Oxygen is scarce, and each frantic gulp of air is saturated with salt water and the rancid smell of digested food, which causes you to throw up repeatedly until you only have dry heaves that are left. Everything you touch has that slimy feel of a mucous membrane that, li that lines the stomach. You feel claustrophobic, and with every turn and dive of the great fish, you slip and slide in the cesspool of digestive fluid. There are no footholds, no blankets to keep you warm from the cold or the clammy depths of the sea. For three days and three nights, you endure this harsh womb of God's grace. Now you're thinking, how in the world can we call that a place of God's grace? Friends, I want you to remember what we looked at in the first sermon in this series. As we talked about what grace is, I gave you three different definitions. And we started out with justice. And we saw that justice is getting what we deserve. And then we went on and we saw that mercy is not getting what we deserve. And finally, grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And as we think about Jonah, I want you to remember what has brought us to this point in the story. When we left off last time, remember what has gotten Jonah here in the belly of this big fish. Jonah originally was called by God to go to Nineveh. Jonah was called to go and preach to the pagans of Nineveh, to call them to turn 
from their wicked ways and to turn to God. But instead, Jonah chose to turn his back on God, and he ran in disobedience. And we saw last Sunday the, the, the d- downward descent of Jonah's disobedience. Do you remember? Instead of going up to Nineveh to the northeast, he went down to Joppa to the coast. And he went down to the dock, and then he found a ship that was going down to Tarshish. And as he boarded the ship, we saw he went down into the ship. And ultimately, he was thrown down into the depths of the ocean. And as he was sinking and about to die, he went down the hatch as this big fish swallowed him. Down, 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 we saw the descent of his sin. As we look at Jonah and his sin, what he deserved for disobedience was death. Friends, we all do, because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, and all of us here are sinners. All of us here, like Jonah, have been disobedient in different ways. And what we deserve is the ultimate penalty of sin is death. That's what Jonah deserved. But God's mercy was keeping Jonah from getting what he deserved. And what he did was he had this whale that some say, and we saw that what the Scripture tells us is it's actually a great fish of some creation of God's use. And so this great fish swallowed Jonah. That was mercy. And ultimately, when we come back to the text next time, we will see God gives Jonah grace because he's going to give him what he didn't deserve, which is a second chance. Jonah will be allowed to hit the reset button and to return to where God called him to the first time, to go to Nineveh. But before we get there, what we find here is that Jonah is in in the, the belly of this big fish. Jonah deserved death, and that's what Jonah wanted, or actually what he thought he wanted. Remember, he told the sailors, just throw me overboard. He wanted to die, he thought, until that was about to become a reality. Look at verse 2 again. It says, uh, actually, look at chapter 2, verse 7 of this chapter. It says, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. What we're told here is that as Jonah is sinking deep into the water, as he's going down, down, and, and that last breath of air is running out for him, and he's about to black out in the last moment of consciousness Jonah has, he suddenly realizes this was a mistake. I, I really don't want to die. And this, this prayer of desperation went up to God, and in God's great mercy, he responded by sending this great fish that he had standing by to swallow Jonah. Now, as we talked about in, in chapter 1, God doesn't just stop with mercy, because he's going to go even further as the story continues by giving Jonah that great grace as he's going to end up being uh, thrown up on the shore and allowed to go. But before we get there, I want to come back to where we are in the belly of this fish. And as you think of Jonah being there, I want you to think about where you are today. Because it's possible that some of you sitting here are in a similar situation to Jonah's. Now, your situation may not be as bad as the one that we just saw Swindoll describe, where you're in the belly of this big fish. But some of you this morning still are in very deep trouble. As you think about what you're dealing with, it may be something you're facing with your finances. And and you just don't know how you're going to deal with it. It could be something at school or where you work. It could be that you have a relationship that is on the rocks. Or it could be that something has rocked your world because you or a loved one have received some news about a health issue or some other situation And you just don't know how you're going to deal with it. Have you ever been there? 
swallowed alive by the monstrous circumstances of life? Have you ever been in a situation where all you see is darkness and every time you try to get up, you slip and you fall back into the bitter acid of whatever it is that's eating you up? Friends, when we find ourselves in that situation, what are we to do? What do we do? We can do what we see Jonah doing here. We can do what Jonah does and turn to God. Now, as I say that, I know somebody may be sitting here right now saying, great. That's exactly what I didn't need this morning. Some pious platitude from a preacher who's going to give me this easy answer. Just pray more. Try harder. Let go and let God. I don't need that, Roger. Friends, that's not what I'm telling you this morning. This isn't some sermon with an easy pat answer of just pray more, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you're sitting here this morning and you're in a situation where you're saying it's hopeless, what I hope you get from my message today is that there is hope. No matter how desperate, no matter how deep in trouble you think you find yourself today, there is an answer. And that answer is by turning to God In Psalm 46, verses 1 through 7, we're told, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Friends, if you're at your end of your rope today, there is hope, but it will mean that you need to let go and give God control of the situation, that you will need to turn to God and trust him to take over. Now, that's where the real problem comes for many of us, isn't it? We don't like to hear that we need to surrender. If you're like me, I don't even like that word surrender. You know, we live here in Texas where we've got the Alamo where there is no surrender, right? And so what we do is we, we hear this word surrender and we think, well, you know, that's, that's what weak people do. Or, or maybe we say, you know, surrender may be ultimately what I do, but that is the last resort. That is the very last option. And so I'm going to stay at the wheel until the very end. Resort, uh, surrender is the last resort where we're overrun and where we, where we realize that fighting on will do nothing. Now, friends, there are times that we should fight on, that we should, with our very last breath and effort, fight. That's when we're facing something like sin or a temptation or some other situation. There are times to fight on. But when it comes to God, we're not to keep fighting Him. What we're to do is to turn to Him. When it comes to how we live our life, Pastor Tim Keller once said this in in an unrelated passage. He said, we're not competent to run our own lives until we realize that we're not competent to run our own lives. Let me say that again. We're not competent to run our own lives until we realize that we're not competent to run our own lives. You know, if we keep resisting and running from God, if we think we're in control, you know what God will do? He'll wait. He'll patiently wait for us. And he'll do just as he did with Jonah. He will send the storms, as we talked about last time, to stop us when we're going in a direction we don't belong. And if we continue to resist God, what he will do is increase the severity of the storm until we come to a point that we realize we have to turn to him. 
In verse 6 of chapter 1, we saw how God not only sent the storm, but he even sent the sea captain down into the ship where he called on Jonah to get up and to call out to your God, this pagan sea captain said to him. And Jonah was unwilling to do that in chapter 1. But now as we come to chapter 2 in verse 7, we see that Jonah finally, with his last breath as he's about to black out, suddenly says, I will surrender and call out to God. As you think of your own life, have you come to that point of surrender? Have you been brought to the place where you realize that I'm so far down that the only way that I can get help is to look up? Has God got you flat on your back this morning trying to get you to turn to him? Why don't we turn to God? Why don't we surrender to him? I think sometimes we're scared, aren't we? We're scared to say, if I give God an unconditional surrender and I say, okay, God, you're in control. You are the Lord of my life. You direct me. We think what God is going to say is, okay, now I can get you. Right? God's been trying to get you to do something you didn't want. And you feel if you surrender and you give him control, what he's going to do is he's going to say, okay, now I can get you in a situation where I'm just going to, I'm going to you know, take it to you. Friends, may I remind you that when we surrender to God, He's not our foe. We are surrendering to the Creator of the universe, to a God who made us and knows us and loves us. And God is not going to do something to you that will hurt you. God has a plan for you and me. We read in the the Old Testament, God told His people in the book of Jeremiah, I have plans for prosperity and a hope and a future for you as Israel, and God has those same plans for us. But what it requires is that we quit trying to direct our lives and we let God have control of our life. What Jonah finds here is that surrender comes before salvation. Back in chapter 1, Jonah said, my God is the God of the sea, throw me into it. And as he's thrown into the hands of God here, what he finds is there is help. It's not the end of his life, but there is mercy. As he ultimately turns to God, he's saved as God sends his fish to swallow him, and God will ultimately give him a second chance. Now, the sailors in chapter 1 were just like Jonah. They found that surrender comes before salvation. Do you remember at first they tried to do it their way? As the storms uh, increased in severity, we saw that they threw all the cargo overboard. And then they were rowing desperately till they got to the point of total exhaustion. And finally, with no other options, nowhere else to turn, they said, okay, God, we surrender to you. You are the true God. And at that moment, the storm was calm for them. As you look at your own life today, how much cargo have you already lost trying to do it your way? How much stuff have you had to throw overboard? What are the things that you have lost? What is the the exhaustion that has come in your life or that of others as you've tried to continue to run from God? Do you really want to keep rowing or are you ready to say to God, your way is the best way? You know, last time what we saw is God will pursue us. And it's not a punitive God who says, I'm just waiting to punish you. What we saw is God pursues us out of his great love for us. His discipline is to drive us back to him. Do you remember that? If you doubt God's love for you, friends, may I point you to the cross of Christ? Because the cross of Jesus Christ tells us not only how far God will go to pursue us, but also how much he loves us. 
We've seen how Jonah continued to go down, down, down in his sin, just as many of us do. And last time we talked about how every step that Jonah went down, God went one step farther. And he does the same thing for us. As you look at the cross of Jesus, remember how far God was willing to go to pursue you and me. How far he went to save me and you. God left his throne in heaven and he came down to earth. We celebrate this time of the year how he became a baby born at Bethlehem. Think of the humility of the creator of the world becoming a part of the creation. How he became helpless. A baby being swaddled in clothing, having to have people take care of him. And when God had humbled himself and come that far, he went even further down because he went from swaddling clothes to wrapping a servant's towel around his waist as he tied it and he got down and he took the form of the lowest servant, washing the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. And then he went even lower because he was stripped of all of his clothing as he went to the cross to die the most horrific death we could think of, one that was reserved for the lowest and worst criminal of the day. And he died to pay the penalty of death that I owed and you owed for your sins. God went down even farther as he was buried in a tomb and he went down into the earth. And then Ephesians 4.9 tells us he went even further down as he went to the lowest parts of the earth But when God could go no farther down, he then began his ascent. He rose from the dead and he walked the earth for 40 days, showing everybody that he had indeed conquered sin and death. And then he ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he has the place of highest honor as the Bible tells us that there is a day coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. And for those of us who have received Jesus as our Savior, God's great gift of grace to us, God says that he will take us home with him to heaven as well. Friends, as you think of your life and how far down and how far away from God you've run, I want you to remember that every step of the way God came to pursue you, to save you and me. As Jonah was going down, 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 God was there every step of the way just as he is with us. And as we look at where Jonah is now in Jonah 1.15, I want you to remember that as they threw Jonah into the sea, that he, we can say, well, it was the sailors who put him there. But I want you to look at Jonah's prayer here in chapter 2 in verse 3. Because he rightly recognizes that it was God. It was God who put him there. It was God who pursued him to that point saying, Jonah, I will not let you run away from me. I will not let you get away from me. Jonah goes on as he prays in verses 3 through 9. He says, For you had me cast into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars were around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. 
While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who regard vain idols forsake the faith forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. As, as we look at the words here, they're not an indictment against God, but instead they are Jonah's acknowledgement of God's righteous, his righteous justice in pursuing Jonah and then his great grace in bringing him back if you look at Psalm 119.71, there the psalmist said, It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. As we look at Jonah here, there are things that we can learn. One is that God is ready to rescue us, no matter how far we've run from him. Friends, do you realize that? God is ready to rescue you, no matter how far you've gone from him. No matter how far down, down, down in your disobedience, God is ready to rescue you. Now, when God saves us, I want you to also know that there may still be consequences that come with our sin. The ultimate penalty of death has been paid. We will be with God for all eternity when we turn from our sin to Jesus to be our Savior. But sometimes there are still consequences that we face here in this lifetime because of the decisions we've made. As we look at Jonah and how he's saved here, he doesn't immediately end up back on dry land, but instead he sits in the stomach of this great fish for three days. You know, God could have snatched him from the depths of the ocean and put him on dry land immediately. But what he does is he says, Jonah, I think you need a little time out to think things over. I want you just to sit for a few days in that harsh womb of my grace to think things over. You know, sometimes God does that with us as well. And I think one of the reasons is because if he rescued us completely, we might forget him quickly and go back to our old ways. Have you ever found that out? Are your memories sometimes shorter than they should be when God has taken us out of some situation? One writer puts it this way. He says, don't disregard the partial works of God. If he chooses to save and heal by stages, God has good purposes, and we ought to be grateful for any improvement in our condition. He says a fish's belly is better than weeds at the bottom of the sea, even if it's not yet our nice dry living room. You know what I found is that the belly of a big fish isn't a great place to live, but it is a good place to learn. Have you found that in your own life? Does God have you sometimes in a situation where you're saying, God, I don't want to be here, but what God says is there are still things that you need to learn. As Jonah sat in that dark, smelly fish's belly, he got to think about his sin and how it almost separated him from God. It's a little bit like the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Have you ever seen that movie? It's a tradition in our house to watch it at Christmas. And if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life, you know the storyline is that there's this great guy by the name of George Bailey. But at some point, George Bailey says, I wish I had never been born. And the storyline says God gave him a great gift. He says, okay, I'm going to let you see what would have happened if you had never been born. And as the story goes on and all the consequences come to George Bailey, as well as all of those in his world that he touched, he suddenly realized I, this was a mistake. Remember, Jonah wanted to die. And God says, you know, Jonah, I'm going to let you get right to the edge. I'm going to let you see what it would be like to be separated from me. You wanted to run away from me. You said you didn't want to be around me. 
Even death was better than that? Well, I'll give you an opportunity to see what that would be like. And what Jonah realizes is he didn't want that. As he is there sitting in the belly, separated from God, as he gets swallowed alive, he gets to see what it would be like. And he says in verse 4, I want to come back to your temple, God. I want to see you. I want to worship you. He goes on and says in verse 7, even if I never get to the temple, at least I know, God, I will see you in the heavenly temple. My prayers will ascend and get to you if nothing else. As Jonah prays here, remember he's sitting in the stomach of a fish deep in the ocean. And something else we can learn from this scene in Jonah's life is that our prayers will reach God no matter where we are. I talk to people sometimes and and they say, Roger, I need you to pray for me because you're a pastor and you have a direct line to God. (laughs) Friends, you have a direct line to God. You don't have to be sitting in church. It can be the cubicle at work. It can be the car that you drive in. It can be wherever you are. You have a direct line to God if you will just turn to him and you will talk to him. Now, the problem is sometimes we feel we're too far from God, not so much in terms of geography where we say, well, I have to be in church instead of my car or cubicle. But sometimes what happens is we've run so far from God. Our heart has been so hardened. What we say is God will not listen to me. What right do I have to turn to God and ask him for something when I've been so disobedient? Friends, do you know God still wants to hear from you? And God gives you a way to bridge that gap, that chasm of sin that has removed you from him. Our enemy, Satan, wants us to believe God doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. But the cross of Christ tells us differently. The cross of Christ tells us, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were far from God in the first place, that's how much he loved you. He went from heaven to earth to die for you. And if you are far from God today, 1 John 1, 9 tells you, if you will confess your sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all, all unrighteousness. Don't believe the lie of our enemy that says you are too far from God for him to listen to you. What he says is when you will stop and turn around and come to me, I am right there. I am right there to receive you. I am right there to hear your prayers. Now, sometimes what we say is, well, Roger, how can I pray? I'm I'm so deep in the pit. I'm so far from God. You know, I understand what you just said. But you know what? At the moment, I don't have enough mental energy to even string two words together. I I don't even know how to pray. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in such a desperate situation? You say, "I, I can't even talk to God. I don't know what to say. If you find yourselves there, friends, again, do what Jonah did. Turn to the scriptures. You may not realize it, but the prayer that we've just read of Jonah, it is drawn from the Psalms. Eight different times in Jonah's prayer, there are direct references that come from the Psalms. As you look at verse 2, you can compare it with Psalm 18, verses 4 through 6. There, Psalm 18 tells us, The cords of death encompass me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. 
The cords of Sheol surrounded me, and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Verse 3 of Jonah's prayer parallels Psalm 42, 7. There it says, Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have rolled over me. Verse 4 can be found in Psalm 31, 22. There the psalmist says, As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried to you. Eight times. Jonah repeats the Psalms back to God in his prayer. He says, God, I am in such a desperate situation. I don't even know how to talk to you. So what he does is he takes the Psalms, which were the prayer book and the song book of the Old Testament, things that Jonah had been raised hearing and knowing, and he prayed them back to God. Can you do that? Can you sing a song you heard in church one time as a prayer? Can you repeat a passage of Scripture that you've heard or read before? If you find yourself in a desperate situation, what we can do is what Jonah did. And we can say, God, your word says this, and pray it back to him. If you're lonely, you can pray, Lord, you said you would never leave me or forsake me. God, I feel all alone right now. Will you show me the truth of what your word said? If you're struggling in some way, maybe with greed or on the other side, a real need in your life, you can pray, Lord, you told us in 1 Timothy 6, 8, if we have food and covering with these, we will be content. Maybe you need to say to God, God, I need your contentment right now. I see all the ads on TV, all the stuff I need for Christmas and on. Would you help me, God, just to be thankful for what I have? A roof over my head, a warm bed to sleep in, the food I need to eat. And maybe you're saying, Roger, right now, I don't have those things. The Bible tells us that God cares for the birds of the air. Can you say to God, you tell me in your word, God, that I'm more important than the grass of the field which you clothe. I'm more important than the birds of the air that you feed. And you say, if one of them drops to the earth, you know about, God, you know my need. And right now I need a job so I can feed my family. God, right now I need a place to stay. Can you pray God's word back to him? When you're afraid, you can say, Lord, you said when we pray, you will give us your peace. It passes all understanding. You know, God, right now, I need that. I'm scared. I'm scared. Will you show up? Will you show me that you're here with me? Or it could be you pray Joshua 1.9 back. There it says, Lord, you've commanded me, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And you say, God, I need you to show up with me right now. Will you give me your strength, your courage as I face this situation, this fear? When we've sinned, we've already talked about 1 John 1, 9, and what we may need to say is, God, I have blown it big time. And God, I'm ashamed. I, I can't even look at you. I can't even come into your presence because I realize how bad I've blown it. But God, I remember your promise that if I confess my sins, you are faithful and you are righteous to forgive me of my transgressions, to remove them from me. God, I'm sorry, and I want to come home. Would you wash me? Would you clean me? Would you restore me and help me to walk more closely with you? Now, 
If you're thinking, but Roger, what about those times where I can't remember what God's Word has said? Maybe I don't know the Bible like you do, or maybe right now my mind is so numb I can't even think of those things. Is there any hope for me? Yes, again, you can turn to God's Word to find hope. Because this is what the Bible tells us. It says in those times where we don't even know how to pray, Romans 8, 26 through 27 tells us this. And in the same way, the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God says, when you don't even know how to pray, guess what? I'm praying for you. I know your needs. I am there responding I think of the time when I was still a police officer in Dallas, and one of the things I would have to do periodically is go to the dispatch center. When you were training a rookie, they would have you take him or her to the different places so they could understand the whole workings. And as we would go to the 911 call center in the basement of City Hall, they would, they would have you sit at a terminal and plug in and have a headset just to hear the incoming calls. And there were times you'd hear all these various calls coming in, and sometimes somebody was in such a desperate situation, maybe there was a medical situation, they couldn't even respond, or they were hiding in a closet or something, where they wouldn't even say a word, but they'd, they'd make the connection, and, and there was just silence over the phone. Or, or sometimes it was the opposite, the person was so hysterical. They were screaming and yelling, you couldn't even understand anything they were saying. But what would happen is in either way, even though they couldn't say what they needed or where they were or anything like that, help was on the way. Because when you dialed 911, your name, the phone number, and the address would show up. And they would dispatch police and fire if they didn't know what was going on just to get them there. And friends, some of you this morning are in one of those situations where you're saying, Roger, I can't even cry out. I can't even put two words together. Or the opposite, I'm so hysterical. I'm so just overwhelmed by the waves in my life. I'm sinking deep down. All I can do is just scream. And what God says is we have something better than the 911 system. We have his spirit who knows our needs and he translates them into what we need to say to God, and then God sends what we need. As the Holy Spirit intercedes, he helps to change us or our prayers so they end up in line with God's will. And often we end up with something even better than we expected. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12. There the Apostle Paul was suffering some type of ailment. Many scholars will say it was a physical ailment, some kind of limitation in his flesh. And Paul was somebody who prayed uh, that God would remove it. In verses 8 through 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, this is what it tells us. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, as Paul says, so that the power of Christ may dwell within me. You see, Paul didn't get his prayer answered the way he wanted. Sometimes people will tell you, well, you, your, your prayer isn't answered because you lack faith. Did the Apostle Paul lack faith, friends? What Paul says is there are times what we are asking is not in God's will, or sometimes what God says is, I have a better thing for you. 
And he said, Paul, I'm going to leave you crippled somehow physically, dependent upon me wholly, so that you will not only receive something better, my great gift of grace and strength to carry you through these hard things, this season in your life. But secondly, I'm going to give you a greater level of ministry effectiveness because of your weakness. Has God ever done that to you? There was an unknown author who wrote this piece about prayer. The person said, I asked for strength that I might achieve. God made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. But God gave me grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. He gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. He gave me weakness that I might feel a need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, but he gave me life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing I had asked for, but God gave me all that I had hoped for. This is the heart we should have as we pray. In those situations, as we go before God and we're, we have hard things in our lives, what we should do is say, God, I know you are here with me and you know what is best for me. I'll leave it up to you. You see, when we pray to God, so often we try to direct God, don't we? We tell him in our prayer, this is what we're going to do and this is how you're going to do it and this is when it's going to happen, right? Instead of directing God, what we should say to God is, you're in control, you set the direction in this situation. As we look at the end of Jonah's prayer, he came around to where he needed to be because he tells us in verses 8 and 9, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Friends, this is a prayer that was born out of affliction and it ends in affection. Jonah was one who started out on the run from God, but now he returns to God. And in verse 10, we see that God returns Jonah to dry land. It says, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Kind of a nice ending there, right? God was so moved by his prayer that he had the fish puke him up on the sea, out of the sea on the land. But again, I want you to remember the grace here. Because Jonah deserved death. But instead he was delivered. Back to dry land. And as we'll see next week, given the second chance to do what God asked the first time. That same deliverance is available to us today if we will turn to the Lord. Jonah was on his way to Tarshish, but God kept him from getting there. And then Jonah was on his way to death in Sheol. But God kept him from getting there as well. Friends, this morning, where are you on the way to? Where are you headed to today? Is it the direction that God wants you to go or are you running from him? What God says to us today is I want you to stop. I want you to turn around and I want you to come back to me. I want you to surrender to me if you're running in the wrong direction. Jonah tells us here, salvation is from the Lord. When we turn to the Lord, receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are told we will be saved. 
In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What way are you headed today? Are you walking away from God? Or have you turned to God, receiving his son to be your savior? If you've been running the wrong way, it's not too late to turn around and go the right way today. But it requires surrender. It requires us saying to God, God, I am giving you my life today. You are the Lord of my life. You are in control. If you're here today and you've never taken that step of faith, I invite you today to come to Christ. To say to God, Lord, I know that I deserve death as a penalty for my sins, but I thank you that today you offer me the great gift of grace that you want to deliver me instead of delivering me to my rightful death. Jesus, today I'm turning from my sins and I'm turning to you to be my Savior. For others of us here today, we've taken that step. And it may mean that we need a fresh step of surrender. One where we say, God, I was walking away from you. Maybe even I was running from you. But today, God, I'm done running. And I'm ready to turn around and I'm ready to come back. So we close today. I want you just to take a moment to think about your life. To think about where you are and where you are headed. And to say to God today, I'm ready to come home. Maybe for someone here today, it's the first time you will be coming home. The first time you will turn to Christ and say, I need you in my life. I need you to be my Savior. And I yield myself to you today. For others of us, it may be a time of recommitment. A time where we say, God, I've been running the wrong way. And today I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to turn around and to do what you want me to do. I want you to take a moment now just to talk to God and I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as you've been listening to the prayers of your people here today, you know what our hearts are like. You know whether or not we've run far from home or whether we've made our lives a place that is a home for you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody here today that uh, has never quite made their heart your home, that has never yet taken that step of faith, that today would be the day, Father, where they say they're surrendering. That they want to come home. That they're turning from their sin to you, Jesus, to be their Savior. You tell us that if we will simply confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised you, Jesus, from the dead, that we will be saved. And, Father, you've heard their heart today. You've heard them say that they are a sinner and they need you. And they're ready to turn from their sins and to you to be their savior. So we thank you for the great gift of new life that you've given to that man or woman, that boy or girl today. Father, for others of us here, we've taken that step before. Maybe prayed that prayer many times just to make sure. But Father, what we've then done is many times just walked away from you. Thinking our way is the best way or 
the world offers us something better than you. But today, God, we realize we need you. It may be, God, that you've been pursuing a person here and you've, you've had them swallowed alive by the circumstances of life to get their attention. And today, God, they're listening. And today, God, they're saying, I'm far from you and I want to come home. And, and they're taking the first step today. Pray, Father, that you would surround them with people who could help them to take the next step and the next. And we pray, Lord, that you would provide the needs that they have. Father, some of us will have to sit in the belly of the fish for days, weeks, maybe months as we deal with the past consequences of our sins, our disobedience. And yet, Father, in that time, we know that your grace is sufficient for us. So I pray that you'd encourage those who find themselves in the, the middle of a mess today, that you, you are there with them. And you'll help them, Lord, take the next step and the next step. Father, whatever it is that we're facing today, we know that you are bigger than it. That for every giant-sized problem in our life, there is a God-sized solution. And we thank you that that came through you, Jesus, going to the cross to pay the penalty of death. Conquering sin and death, the greatest foe we will ever face, the greatest need we ever will have in our life has already been met. And everything else, Father, is just a footnote. And so we trust you, Lord, with what's going to happen next in our lives. Today, we yield ourselves to you. We surrender and give you control of our lives. Take and use us now. And Father, may we be those who are faithful to the call you've given us. May we go into the world, our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, even a stranger on the street we see, and share the good news of the grace that has come, the real meaning of this season. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have a prayer need in your life, there are men and women here at the front who would love to pray with you. For the rest of us, let's go into the world and share the good news that God's Son has come. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.